Hey guys, it's time to experience New Mexico. Have you guys ever been to New Mexico, my audience here? Yes. New Mexico is so nice. Now, I am in the minority. I've never been to New Mexico, but ever since college, this is how long it's been. I've always wanted to visit New Mexico. A friend of mine went to the Santa Fe uh, Opera House, and I hear it's beautiful. There's so many, so many beautiful things about New Mexico. Many of my friends have shot TV shows there, so I am the stupid one that hasn't been there yet. So here's the thing about New Mexico. Soak up the unique beauty and rich cultural diversity with influences from native tribes, the Wild West, even Georgia O'Keeffe. Marvel New Mexico's breathtaking landscapes from ski areas to white sands and natural hot springs. There's so much to see. Learn more and plan your next trip at newmexico.org slash Larry. That's newmexico.true. Thank you very much. Welcome to a special Black on the Air at the Texas Tribune Festival. How awesome is that, right? All right, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming out, you guys. Um, but it is my pleasure to uh, introduce uh, someone who's been in Congress since, I think, 1987. She's been serving the 12th District in my home state of California, former Speaker of the House, but she'll always be the Speaker to me. So, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, everybody. Give her a nice round of applause. Thank you. No, I love you. <laughs> hey. Thank you so much for coming. Um, My pleasure. I love being in Texas. I have grandchildren in Texas, so. Yeah, relatives in? They have grandchildren. They're in Houston, however. Wow. <laughs> I don't. I don't like Houston right now. <laughs> Houston and I aren't speaking at the moment. <laughs> Um, but thank you. It's, I know there's a lot going on in D.C., so I'm sure everyone here at the festival appreciates you uh, coming down and uh, keeping it 100 for a little bit. Here we are. Uh, so have you been watching uh, the Kavanaugh <laughs> Are you asking me yes. or are you asking them? <laughs> have you been watching um, What What is your take on this whole thing? Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, the it's last time I was with Larry, he was interviewing me at the Big Gay Ice Cream Shop right. in New York City. That's right. That was good ice cream. Big Gay Ice Cream. That was big really Gay good. Ice Cream. That was good. Uh, and it's great to be here again at the By the way, uh, that festival. is the best non sequitur ever, ever, because people have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> but we were doing a bit for the night. show. It was a comedy bit. You know? But it's great to be here again. Uh, the um, Texas is fraught with so much opportunity uh, this election, yeah. if we're going to talk politics at some point. Mm -hmm. So here we are at a really historic moment in our country. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a challenge to our Constitution where there's a, uh, not the appropriate respect for the separation of powers, the, uh, what our founders have in our Constitution. And I want to talk a little bit about Article One, the legislative branch, the first branch of government. That's and my favorite article. <laughs> it certainly is mine. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and of course, uh, the third branch of government, the judicial branch, so right. important. And here we have the executive branch making an appointment to the uh, third branch of government, the judiciary, and the advice and consent of the legislative branch. And you saw, uh, some of you probably saw what was happening today. Mm -hmm. There are two, um, in my view, there are two equities to be weighed in all of this. One, the integrity of the Supreme Court, and the other, uh, the respect for a woman who comes forward with her allegation. Neither of those values or equities were well served by the way the Republican leadership in the United States Senate dealt with this issue. Mm -hmm. But happily, because the public weighed in after seeing Dr. Ford's testimony, we have a situation now where there will be an investigation. And that is a very important thing. It is a, a, an issue of, I, I believe that the President Trump was trying to break the Me Too movement by appointing 
sticking with somebody and not even, you know, again, look, the president won the well, election. He could break it by himself, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need Kavanaugh to break the Me Too movement. Well, but I, to further break it, he, uh, the president is elected. He has the right to make his appointments with the advice and consent of the United States Senate. And so you would expect that he would have people who have his point of view. But there are two points of view that have to, can't be ignored. One is the integrity of the court. Is the person honestly answering the questions? And the most important of all, though, of course, is the respect, getting back to get respect for the Constitution of the United States. And so, again, uh, there can be candidates who don't all share our same view on a woman's right to choose, access to quality health care, gun safety, immigration policy, civil rights, voting rights, and the rest. But the Constitution is the keystone, and they have to keep coming back to that. So there was a lack of uh, belief and confidence uh, that this nominee would honor the Constitution in a way that was intended by our founders, instead made clear in his writings that the president is above the law. And to investigate the president was sort of like a nuisance. He's such a busy man. So when he had, he had uh, forcefully gone after President Clinton in that impeachment, now he says, oh, that was, I shouldn't have done that with this president. He's too busy to tend with any questions of his integrity. Are you saying that the Democrats are opposing him because of his possible position in regards to the Mueller investigation? Well, the, the, when, that when could reach him. The, the, the constitutionality the, argument. Well, the Mueller investigation, it could go to the Supreme Court as mm -hmm. to whether uh, a president could be investigated. Let's hope that that's not. We don't know, nor should we know, what's happening in that investigation. But it has to run its course. And you can't say that a justice of the Supreme Court comes in and says, what a bother to a president who's such a busy man to have to deal with any uh, allegations. So the, the main thing about was that he thinks the president is above the law. No one is above the law. So this is, again, an historic point. And then on top of all of that, the concerns that we have for what he would do, the Affordable Care Act, what he would do for a woman's right to choose. The president said, it's a done deed. Mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade is gone. That's what the president has said, and this is his appointee. I don't so, think the, the president even remembers anything that he actually says, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. Just to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. So are you um, assuming that he knows what he's saying when he says it? I don't. <laughs> I think he has the attention span of like a sissy fly. Um, yes, we're, and, but like the, the narcolepsy happens to him instead of to others. He, he doesn't, his attention span, I have, I just got a dog. I have a puppy. I swear to you, my puppy's attention span is much more, is much longer than the president's. It absolutely is. I've never seen anything like this, but I also feel that the Democrats are, a lot of this to me feels like, Payback for the Merrick Garland uh, no. nomination. No, I don't think so at all. But um, I beg you don't think to, I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> I beg to differ. No, I think that, that it's fair to make uh, the uh, contrast to say, how could you say uh, that when the beginning of a year, mm -hmm. a, a justice of the Supreme Court passes away right. and President Obama does not have the right to make an appointment. I look at it as they stole something from a brother, and now, well, you know. Nice that. That's why, and now the Democrats, <laughs> they have Obama's back. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of retribution for that. I mean, oh, no. it all isn't of these. That. If that would be, that, that is um, um, an observation but it is not the responsibility they have. There's plenty yes. other reason to oppose Correct. Kavanaugh yes. in terms of his uh, respect for the Constitution, his respect for uh, the, the uh, previous decisions of the court that relate to marriage equality, that relate to uh, Roe v. Wade, mm -hmm. that relate to civil rights. And, and the court has made some bad decisions on 
on voting rights that we have to correct in the Congress. But can we make a little bit of a deal Absolutely. tonight? Let's not talk about Trump. No, <laughs> I'm I not going to make that deal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Because this is about the future, we'll in other words. Around. Okay. We'll, we'll okay. Come back Let's around. see what you no, want. No, okay. This, all this right, is well, the most important try. thing. Yeah, I tried. You okay. cannot, I cannot have Nancy Pelosi from my podcast say, Larry, can we not talk about Trump? <laughs> you you made be, the point. I don't know we'll why. We'll come back around to it, but I do okay. want to talk more about this. Um, because you were talking about some of the broad concerns of maybe what the Democrats have against a nominee like this, and I understand that. Mm -hmm. do, do you feel that... Roe v. Wade is in jeopardy with yes, this nomination? Yes, definitely, but absolutely. But is it just this positive. nomination or any Republican nomination? Well, the, the, uh, let me put it this way. In the questioning of, of um, Judge uh, Kavanaugh, he said... Bart oh, O'Kavanaugh? Hmm? Yeah. I'm calling him Bart O'Kavanaugh. <laughs> oh, Bart O'Kavanaugh. His name in the book yes, is... It is, is, uh... it is a comedy podcast, too. Sorry. <laughs> 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 bringing levity. You didn't want to talk about Trump. I got to bring some levity. Speaker, what am I supposed to do? Whatever you want to call him. I've noticed I'm being very respectful. Yes. President Trump, Judge Kavanaugh. Yes. I, I appreciate that, by the way. It's very kind of you. <laughs> it, it, um, it, and his uh, comments on Roe v. Wade. See, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. And his interviews, whatever, the, the hearings, he has said, Roe v. Wade is established law. Well, that's right. not, you know, so was Janice and the court overturned that, that labor decision. That was established law, and that was with only months ago overturned. So when he's responding, I don't think he's being, it's, if you care about a woman's right to choose, and we, most of us do, then you would be very concerned about Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh going on to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that somebody else the president may appoint might not share that same view of wanting to overturn Roe v. Wade, but they might have a different commitment to the Constitution of the United States, which a judgment has been made Roe v. Wade is constitutional. So, so that's, that's the thing. And what they'll probably, what they'll try to do in the court is to maybe not overturn it, but relegate it to the states, which is essentially eroding Roe v. Wade because the states then could overturn it individually. So this is, I think that the public has to know its power in this regard because this is not just about maybe terminating a pregnancy. This is about planned parenthood, family planning, birth control, you look at his decisions, and they are very anti, statements he has written or decisions he has made, they're very anti-family um, planning. This is, what? So, um, I mean, I have five children. My husband and I have five children. Now we have nine grandchildren. You are not anti-family planning, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have five children. We have five children. Yeah. Uh, today is the da my daughter's birthday, her oldest daughter. She lives in Arizona. When we brought her, our baby, our fifth child home from the hospital, whose birthday is next week, they were within a week of each other six years in the same week. Six years, five children. So I know some, you know, I, I'm with the program, I get that. But it's, what's good for me is not necessarily what I I'm should like, be legislating. You may be making the case for the other side else. right now. <laughs> no, I'm saying, I say slow, to my slow, colleagues, slow what, it's none of your one. business what other people decide to right. do. Right. And, um, and Larry, sometimes, uh, one time on the floor of the house when I was saying, you know, anytime you have five babies in six years, you come talk to me about what you think about birth control or whatever. Sure. It's a blessing to us, but that doesn't mean... That's a, it's none of our business. So I, what more can you say? Yeah. But when we were having the debate on this once a, a number of years ago, one of the Republicans got up and he said, Nancy Pelosi thinks she knows more about having babies than the Pope. Yes. Well, uh, I think you I would I think the know. Pope would agree, right? right? Any Pope. I mean, the, who is, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Well, does any not practicing birth control make sense? <laughs>
I mean, the Pope probably thinks that Devil's Triangle's a drinking game. Hey, yeah, yeah. yeah, I didn't I make know. that up. No, no. <laughs> so in any event, there's so much so at ridiculous, stake by the way. Don't even get in this election. It's personal, it's policy-wise, mm -hmm. it's patriotism about our country. It's not about Democrats or Republicans anymore. It's about America and what our Constitution guarantees for us mm -hmm. that is at stake with some of the uh, appointments that the president has made. Um, I will um, honorably disagree um, with you on that, because I do think we are divided right now, and I do think it is about Democrats and Republicans. Like, I, I think, I always tell people, I said, I will take clarity over agreement, you know, in, in this instance. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you talk about Roe v. Wade, I think it's important that we're clear which party does want to get yeah. rid of it, you know, and which party doesn't. But and, the public has to understand that too, though. Yeah. And, and not everybody really believes that they will do it. Where do you think? But the, they would. Where do you think the, the country is? Um, if you were to take a poll of the abortion issue, do they do they keep taking these types of polls for the country as a whole? Do do we know where the country know. kind of stands on that? But uh, please, if I just may, this isn't about that. Mm -hmm. It's about family planning. It's about birth control. It's sure. about defunding Planned Parenthood. Well, that's a Republican and, agenda. Yeah, I understand. But that's, that's where the policy is made. That's where the funding happens. That's why we have to win the election. But the, um, but I, the reason I say that it's not about Democrats and Republicans is be, it always is, but it's bigger than that because we have a situation now where we have such uh, disparity in income in our country. We have mm -hmm. liberty and justice for all, but so much injustice in terms of our criminal justice system, in terms of our economy, in terms of environmental justice, you name any subject. And so our agenda is for the people, the democratic agenda for the, for the people. Lower health care costs by reducing the cost of prescription drugs, bigger paychecks by building the infrastructure of America, and cleaner government by reducing the role of special interest money in our elections. And um, I just want to I just want to go back to the Kavanaugh thing just for one more thing. Do you think do you think people have false expectations about this FBI investigation? No. No, uh, here's the because thing. Because it, it's not the type of it's not what we would think of what an FBI investigation would actually do would be the purpose would be to indict someone perhaps. This is mm -hmm. like more of a is it like just a gathering of information? I'm like, I'm a little confused about what they're actually doing. Okay, but well, here's the thing. Suppose any one of you would be appointed to a federal position. Right. The FBI would come on and vet you. They'd go to look at your records, go to people that you know, ask all kinds of questions. I've been um, asked about other people many times and they ask very personal questions, which mm -hmm. I wouldn't have the faintest I said, why are you even asking me that? Well, you're a neighbor, you see people come and go. They really ask very specific questions about uh, the uh, a nominee uh, in terms of knowing they have conflicts of interest, knowing if they could be a subject of some kind of uh, blackmail or the rest. They just, they have very specific, sure. what we call vetting. So these Republican senators have said, well, he's been vetted six times. What well, doesn't matter, they're new, allegations, and he hasn't been vetted on the allegations. And so since you want to talk about this, I'll go more into detail. I think the reason they didn't want the further vetting is because they might be suspicious that he is not telling the truth to Congress. And if he's not telling the truth to Congress, mm -hmm. he not only does not become a justice of the Supreme Court, he loses the job he has now for lying to the Congress. Yeah. Or lying to the FBI. Yeah, a lot of people thought, it's funny how when you hear both sides of it, um, and it's, it's interesting to me how seeing both of those testimonies, I was really struck by Ms. Ford's testimony. You know, anytime you hear someone speaking about those types of things, you know, you can only imagine, like, the memories that might be coming up about it as they're talking about it. But I was very, you know, it's funny, when I hear people speak about how they reacted to Judge Kavanaugh's thing, I just had a completely different reaction. He's, it sounded like someone, 
it's, I hate to say this, I don't mean to make fun of alcoholics, but it really sounded like an alcoholic who was defending, almost being an alcoholic was what it seemed like to me, you know? Well, with, I with thought some, he was And some of the way he responded, like he said, blackout, do you blackout? Do you ever, like he was pushing it back at them. It's like, what kind of judge is this for Christ's sake? You know? <laughs> I, mean, I can't imagine that happening in a Supreme Court session. Well, he didn't have the temperament to be a judge. Just no, by not at all. That. But I thought he was kind of doing an imitation of, of President Trump for the benefit of President Trump. That would be a performance that would appeal to the president, right? So it, it's, it was the really The drama sad. part of it, you're saying? Hmm? The high drama part of it. Well, then the, uh, I, well, <laughs> I was so out of the question to me. But again, we all bring our... Uh, a point of view to observing something. I thought mm-hmm. of that Dr. Lazy Ford's presentation presented a demeanor more appropriate to the Supreme Court than Yes, exactly. Having all. And the fact of the matter is, if the tables were turned and you had a woman who was trying to get in the Supreme Court and was yelling at them and throwing it back <laughs> well, can in you imagine? Faces, you ever black out? You ever black out? Yeah, let I alone like beer, black, you like you know, beer, right? like a few beers. Oh, a, black, a sister beer. trying to get in the Supreme Court and black like Come on. Yeah, but, uh, but the, the... Um, you ever black out? But that... <laughs> they would say... You want to see um, a devil's triangle? I'll show you. <laughs> Usually they would say of a woman Sorry, I, what I'm, I'm going to say of Judge Ka- uh, Kavanaugh. He was hysterical. He was hysterical. He was. That's he was what they hysterical. usually say, yeah. They usually reserve that for women. He was hysterical. Yes. Yeah, but it, you know what? It's, um, it, was so, it was such an interesting contrast of, of see, and seeing it in real time and seeing it unfold because his statement alone might have been compelling because you would have expected anyone that had those kind of accusations, if they were false, yeah, of course you would be angry about it. You would expect that. But it seemed like the longer when I was like, no, no, like, no, don't stop talking, you know. Yeah, but if you had someone like that who thought the allegations were false, you would invite a vetting by the FBI, right? It's going oh, to clear him. Well, you would explain what skis mean on your, uh, on your calendar. It means brewskis. He's not going skiing in July, for Christ's sake. <laughs> water skiing. Well, in any event... It, what I think is important about this... I'm just putting all the information out there for you guys. He kept a calendar, is what he said. The, 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 this is, I, as I've said to you, I think that the president wants to break the Me Too movement. And here we have a time where we all believe in due process. Somebody mm-hmm. makes an allegation. Somebody has a right to um, uh, clear his or her name in that regard. But the fact is, you cannot ignore the allegation. Ninety, around 93% of the time, women who have brought allegations, they have been proven true. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean the other 7% aren't important. And we know some high-profile cases uh, where they they weren't correct. But the fact is, you have to give uh, a, a default position of of uh, let's pursue this uh, to anyone, man or woman, who has <laughs> an allegation right. exactly. <laughs> God bless you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> God bless you, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and you know what's interesting, uh, in terms of the Me Too movement, I was a little torn on it because I hate to see, I don't like the Me Too movement in a political situation because to me, it can, People will take a political side rather than the proper side, you know, and it, yeah, what, and it can diminish. Doing? Yeah, mm-hmm. but this is just my opinion. I, I think it can diminish what the Me Too movement is about, and that is listening to women for the first time in these situations and believing a woman uh, in circumstances where society has almost had a, a collusion and an agreement to not believe women and to keep them invisible and silent, you know. That was part of the whole... Part of that, and when politics is in it, I just hate it because it, well, it, it turns it into a. It turns it into a. What other instances of politics are you referencing? Are in you this referencing situation, this one. It's it's a complete uh, it's a complete political show where you're nominating Supreme Court judge. I understand that, but 
she came forward with it. So, okay, you'll say this one is. I don't know any of any other instances. Um, there are some, and people have been. Well, I'm not talking about. I'm talking suspended. about this instance. Okay. Part of part of what mm -hmm. I personally don't like about it. But look, there are other good things that come out of it too. Like, for mm -hmm. instance, the I think the National Sexual Assault Hotline reported like a 200% increase in phone calls mm -hmm. during the hearing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing, you know. Mm -hmm. Where so obviously some women felt emboldened by this, you know, which is mm -hmm. always one of the good things that can come about it. Well, there, women yeah. that haven't felt that they couldn't speak about it now at least want to speak about it. Right, but the, the understand, I mean, I know you understand the courage it takes to come forward in a situation Absolutely. that you describe as political. I mean, she wasn't coming through No, but here's, I'll tell you exactly what I mean. If it was a Republican woman who came across and Democrats were opposing her because she was Republican, I would find that was injurious to the Me Too movement. I agree, no, no, but that I hasn't understand. happened. I'm just giving yeah. hypothetical. I know it didn't happen. You're saying that wouldn't happen. That's hilarious. <laughs> so let's talk about I, the most important issue in the campaign, happens. healthcare. <laughs> Talking about healthcare, because, yes. uh, and, and relating it to what, uh, segueing from there, because one of the concerns uh, that uh, some of the senators have on Democratic and Republican side is what this appointment means to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And if there is, just so you know, and this is in the context of when the Republicans passed their tax scam with tax cuts for the rich, 83% going to the top 1%, in that bill, uh, they uh, uh, maintained that they got rid of the pre-existing condition benefit. And so an, a large number of Republican attorneys general mm -hmm. filed a lawsuit, in Texas is the case here, in, filed in a the, lawsuit. In the, in the states, right? Mm -hmm. saying that this is not um, the law of the land, the pre-existing condition benefit, that you cannot be deprived of access to health insurance if you have a pre-existing medical condition. This is a big deal. 125, 130 million families in America are, have a pre-existing medical condition. The child is born with a heart defect, somebody has cancer, mm -hmm. asthma, you name it. They're all pre-existing conditions. In fact, before we passed the Affordable Care Act, being a woman was a pre-existing medical condition. That's the way it was viewed in terms of getting insurance in many cases. Mm -hmm. so, so the concern that we have is when this case, if and when this case goes to the Supreme Court, and the premise is that it is not the law of the land, which it is, but they're contending it is not, who's going to be there to make that judgment right. if he has already uh, let's say that Judge Kavanaugh was a political operative who was named a judge, yes. and now they're sending him to the Supreme Court. This right. is not a jurist. That's correct. So he's there to do that to do that agenda, but it does have an impact in people's lives mm -hmm. if you have a pre-existing condition, if you care about a woman's right to choose, if you care about so many other issues. But those two issues, women's right to choose and health care, were issues that were of concern to Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski. As you recall, they voted for the health care, against the Trump so-called care, Trump I don't care, his bill, and, <laughs> and, um, and they had been supporters of Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. So those two issues were sort of um, where a lot of focus was because we had an, an audience of two to see if the, uh, that, that um, how, um, convincing he was when he said they're the law of the land. So I don't, but on the pre-existing condition, their contention is it isn't the law of the land. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it is the law of the land, and it would be the responsibility of the federal government to defend it in court when these attorneys general came forth their case. But this administration is so against people having that access because they don't believe in a government role that they said we're not defending the law of the land. Let the attorneys general come okay. forward. So there's these, you know, they're important, you know, more than most people ever want to know about the subject because we're supposed to take care of all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but with all the uh, concern for all the families involved in the rest, the truth will set us free, and that's all we're mm -hmm. asking for with the FBI investigation. The truth, in terms of his. Uh, integrity and the integrity of the court which respect 
uh, for a, a credible woman who came forth with her allegations. Um, we're just going to pause one second, uh, Madam Speaker, for a quick word from one of our sponsors. <laughs> Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. You guys heard about SeatGeek? Let me tell you, SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event like this one. Whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. Guys, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I got tickets to the World Series last year. I saw the Dodgers stay lost. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was you guys. It was you guys. <laughs> and SeatGeek got me right up close to see it. Thank you, SeatGeek, I think. <laughs> they save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget, right? Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So guys, best of all, listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Come on, you guys. I'm talking about SeatGeek. You better sit down. So just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code Larry today. That's promo code Larry. $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right for your phone. And now back to more of my conversation with Nancy Pelosi. Um, now, as, as I said... Um, I'm very cynical when it comes to <laughs> some of these political things. And I think even if Kavanaugh goes away, I think someone else will come along. I mean, because the Republicans are in power right now. Yeah. Um, do you think that the, if Kavanaugh does go away, which actually, this is the first time I thought that might, that possibly could happen now. Um, although we'll see what happens in this next week um, with the FBI and, and how many, how many, uh, what do you need? Two Republicans to say no? Mm -hmm. Maybe something like yeah. that, at least two. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's possible. It could be those yeah. senators you talked mm -hmm. about. Um, do you imagine the Democrats trying to prevent someone from sitting in that seat until 2020? No, no, no. I think that it would be fun to try. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the point. That's not the point. But I mean, yeah, it would. <laughs> I mean. I'll I can imagine a lot of things about uh, no, but, who, who sits in the White House and but, who. But, but Madam Speaker, the speech that you just gave <laughs> makes it seem imperative that they at least try to stop that, doesn't it? Well, I think the standard has been set. The public is now paying closer attention and understanding what is at stake. And, yeah. and somebody said to me the other day, oh, you got rid of him. You got somebody worse coming along. I said, person is honest and is committed to upholding the Constitution mm -hmm. of the United States, that's better than what we have now. That's better than the Sure, that's fair. Um, but again, elections have ramifications. Absolutely. And we have to, in 39 days from now, at this time of night, we'll be getting some returns. Texas is very important to remember. <laughs> Uh, what is your prediction, um, Madam Speaker? Do you think there will be? Do you think uh, Democrats can take the House? Do you think mm -hmm. that's going to happen? Yeah. Well, let me just say, if the election were today, because I have a follow-up question. Oh, so you want to talk politics? Oh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's great. Well, to... wait. Uh, before you get to that, are the Democrats? Uh, what is their major? Uh, policy agenda to unseat Republicans. Is it health care of what you talked about, or is it something else? Democrats are for the people, lowering health care costs by reducing the cost of prescription drugs, mm -hmm. bigger paychecks by building the infrastructure of our country, cleaner government by reducing, uh, eliminating the role of special interest dark money in our political process. Mm -hmm. And the public responds to that third uh, uh, priority in a way that makes them believe that other things can happen, that we can raise the minimum wage and we can protect the air, the, the safety of the air our children drink and the water, the air they breathe <laughs> and the water they drink, mm -hmm. and uh, food safety and the rest of it. It is, um, uh, it is simply that. 
lower health care costs, bigger paychecks, cleaner government. And when we win, we will have a, a government that is not, this is not the uh, pound of flesh crowd. We're doing to them what they did to us. This is not that, because they've had a very closed government, which isn't right, and we don't subscribe to that. We're going to have openness so that the public knows what these bills are about and how it affects them. We're going to have accountability to the public for how this is done, and we're going to have fairness in what we do. And it is, uh, so the, the um, manner in which we honor Article One, check and balance on the other branches of government, the beauty of our Constitution will be very important, and I think uh, historically never more important. There are some things we've asked the Republicans to do that we have to do when we take office, and that is, or take the majority, and that is we've asked for common sense gun safety background checks legislation, and we have to do that. Uh, we have said we want them to bring to the floor bill to protect our dreamers, and we have to do that. And those bills would both be bipartisan. They both would be bipartisan. So we have a responsibility to our founders, to our men and women in uniform who fight for our freedom, to our children and their aspirations, to find as much common ground that is unifying as we can. Where we can't find it, we must stand our ground. And one place that we cannot find common ground on the issue of a woman's right to choose, you're either for it or you're not for it. And that, that would be one of the fights that we uh, that would be hard, but there are others where we can find common ground. I would also say that um, the issue of the budget is very, very important. The tax bill that they passed takes $2 trillion. When you talk about the tax break plus the interest on it, $2 trillion. So uh, to pay for it, the president has put in his budget $1.4 trillion cut from Medicaid and four, a half a trillion dollars cut from Medicare, $200 billion from food stamps, all to give a tax break to the wealthiest people in our country and to corporate America. So it undermines what our responsibilities are to the American people. You just cannot have a trickle-down uh, plan that was written in the dark of night and the speed of light, and nobody really knew what it meant to them, and they tried to sell a bill of goods, which is not working for them. Mm -hmm. So it's about the budget, which is a statement of our values, as a country, our budget should be a reflection of what our, what's important to us, the education of our children, the health and well-being of the American people. Uh, uh, well, I always talk about the children. When people ask me what are the three most important issues facing the Congress, I always say the same thing, our children, our children, our children. Children yeah. are the future. Uh, uh, <laughs> they are best. <laughs> I sing it whenever people ask me. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an approach. and. Uh, <laughs> I'm all for that. I think Congress would run a lot smoother if people entertained. Well, I like dancing, too. I don't think there you, you can dance too there much. I just don't think you can. But our children, the health, their education, the economic security of their families, a clean, safe environment in which they can thrive, a world at peace in which they can reach their fulfillment, and that is good for them and it is good for our country. Uh, our candidates are great who are running. We have 83 red to blue candidates across the country six of them in Texas. Mm -hmm. And in addition to those six, we have two women who will, will they're not red to blue, their districts are blue to blue. Mm -hmm. um, Veronica Escobar and the Beto O'Rourke, <laughs> And Sylvia Garcia in the green, in green seat in Houston. Mm -hmm. And those two women will be the first two Latinas ever elected to Congress from Texas. It's almost like Texas, what took you so long, for goodness sake. I know, right? but it's happening now. It's, it's and isn't it wonderful about Beto O'Rourke and what's happening in his... Uh... Do, you think, do you think he'll beat uh, Ted Cruz? Yeah. So? Yeah. I think their polls are almost... I, I can't imagine somebody losing to Ted Cruz. It just sounds... <laughs> I don't care. But it's just is. only a question of people voting. Yeah. You must vote, and that's the whole thing. And then that means that we have six races. We have, uh, 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 well, in Austin, 
MJ Hager nearby here. We have. Well, I'll let me read this list to you so Go I can do it, it fast. Uh, that would be uh, uh, in, in the Houston area, Todd Litton uh, against someone named Crench, Daniel Crenshaw. Uh, Lizzie Fletcher against Culberson, an incumbent. Yeah. He, around here, Joseph uh, Kopser against uh, Roy Chip. Gina Ortiz Jones in the Valley area against Hurd. MJ Hager against Carter. And Colin Allred against Rep Sessions. So you ask the question, are we going to win? If the election were today, yes, we would. The number of people we can elect from Texas depends on getting out the vote. Mm -hmm. The messaging about fairness, the, uh, the uh, money that we're raising to make sure people can get out their message and the rest is important. But the mobilization at the grassroots level Mm -hmm. is what will make the difference. We must own the ground. Every door you knock, every call you make, every sign you plant, every postcard you send, every call, all of it can make the difference. Sure. The whole election, Larry, could rest on 25 or 30,000 votes in the whole country. Some of these races could be won or lost by three, four, five hundred votes. Mm -hmm. So everything counts. Think of the Olympics. One second. You watch the Winter Olympics? One second. You're gold, silver, bronze, or honored to be an Olympian, all within one second. We're going for the gold. We're going for the gold. And so you have to. Last year in, the, in Virginia, uh, the control over the lower house of their legislature rested on picking a name out of the hat because right. the decisive district was tied. So we want no wasted time, no underutilized resources, and no regrets the day after the election. Madam Speaker, how do you, how do you, get, how do you get young people involved in midterm elections? How do you get people who normally maybe not, are not excited or are of the lower information level, but the people that you need to come out in bigger numbers, how, how do you reach those people? Well, the, the, in term, you have different categories there, but in terms of the younger people, the millennials and the rest, you listen to them. It's, it's, um, uh, they're not particularly party-oriented in the rest. Their concerns are about cost of education, uh, job access after they graduate, uh, net neutrality, um, the issues that relate to climate mm -hmm. and the rest, and other issues. But, the, um, you don't go in and say, we've arrived, now let's get a keg of beer and have a party. This is about listening to what their concerns are. Mm -hmm. I, your question enables me to enlarge the issue to what's happening in terms of mobilization. Okay. Never before have we seen anything like we see now, where people, whether they're millennials, women, women millennials, whatever the subject, are saying, this is how I want to participate. When the women marched the day after, that was one of the most remarkable things in our country's history because it wasn't organized politically, it was organic, it was spontaneous. It was and people marched for reasons. They knew their why, they knew, whether it was women's right to choose health care, uh, juvenile justice, climate, guns, immigration, name any subject, they had their purpose. And they came out the next year, the march was huge as well, but all of those issues were tied to one four-letter word, vote. So people understand that the elections have ramifications mm -hmm. and they're prepared to vote. So when people say to me, how are we going to use all of this energy and this or that, I say, no, how are they going to use us? How do they want to participate? And with the social media and the urgency that people see with the policies, of, of, of the president and the Republicans in Congress, who are exactly like the president. There's nothing he's about that they haven't been there longer and worse. So this is when people say, when are they going to turn on the president? Never. Never. Name a subject. Women's rights issues, LGBTQ, climate, guns, immigration, income inequality. They've been there longer and worse. These are guys. These are guys. So that's not going to happen. So in the campaign, we're saying, to the candidates and the, and the members of Congress who are running, don't even talk about the president. It's about what you 
and you authentically bring uh, to meet the needs of your constituents when you listen to their hopes, dreams, aspirations, apprehensions, their fears. And, and that is what the campaigns will be about. So we're going to another place. Social media enables us to do remarkable things. So one of the things that people have to know is that there is a midterm election. You know, that lots of times, I'm like, I don't know. Right. That there is a midterm election. Thank you, Beto O'Rourke, for making it more high profile in Texas. Thank you, President Trump, for being a great mobilizer, uh, <laughs> motivator for people to get out the vote. You know that'll get out to Nancy Pelosi. Thank me. What? Mm -hmm. What happened? You know she's kind of nice. I like her. <laughs> so it is. So it's not about, um, it, it, and it's about all, all different to listen to their concerns. And the most important thing, of course, I said healthcare earlier. Mm -hmm. people, that is about people's health and their financial security because healthcare is a big cost in people's lives. But what they want to see in a candidate is authenticity. Mm -hmm. But reality really do care. You can have all the vision, all the knowledge, all the judgment, all the strategic thinking. But if you don't connect emotionally, it's just not the connection isn't there. But what's exciting about our candidates, Larry, yes. is they know their why. They know why they are running. Mm -hmm. They know what motivates them in terms of uh, a subject. Now, for me, my why, a mother of five, why I went from the kitchen to the Congress, housewife to house speaker was the one in five children in America who lives in poverty. And all that that implies about our society how could it be in the greatest country that ever existed in the history of the world, the wealth and all the rest? One in five goes to sleep hungry at night. But anyway, away from me, back to them. They know their purpose. And that when you know why you're doing something, that authenticity is so you know your subject, you know, you know why, you know what, you know how to connect with people. And that is how we will win the election. And when we do, these members of Congress will be independent representatives of their districts. We do not want a rubber stamp Congress. That's why we advocate Article One. Article One, the first branch of government, not a rubber stamp for the executive branch or for anybody else, but their job title and their job description are one and the same, representative. So you have to listen to your constituents in order to represent them. So it's going to be very exciting. We have, of our 84 candidates, 43 are women who can possibly win. So, and some of them, three of them, red to blue in Texas, as I mentioned, uh, MJ Hager, uh, um, uh, Gina Ortiz-Jones, and um, uh, Lizzie Fletcher. But in addition to that, the two women coming in Veronica Escobar. Yeah, there's, a, there's been a lot of attention put on a lot of the, let's say, new energy or fresh energy, however you want to say it, young mm -hmm. energy in the party. A lot of people have talked about that. And people have mentioned over the past year wondering where the Democratic Party is going, you know, questions about its leadership, questions about mm -hmm. your position in leadership. As the cynical person that I am, of course, I see a lot of I see you have been attacked by Republicans for a long time. Yes. I don't know why. It, it, that always confused me. You know? Because I'm effective. Yeah. If they wouldn't have, they, I mean, I'm saying this to the women out yeah. there. Because but you've, you been a you've been a target for a long yeah. time. But it seems like Democrats are believing some of that. That's okay. what it feels like to me. Like with some of the, some of the division that's happening in the party mm -hmm. itself about who's going to lead this party. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you're going to be the person to lead this party yeah. when you take over the House? In the Congress. The Republicans have spent over $100 million demonizing me. See, mm -hmm. self-promotion is a terrible thing, but obviously somebody has to do it, right? <laughs> and I say this, I, I'd say this with some level, because it's not my nature, but sure. I want women to know you can't run away from a fight. You cannot let somebody describe you, misrepresent who you are. And I'm a master legislator. I passed the Affordable Care Act, Wall Street reform. The list goes on and on. There's Recovery Act and the rest. So 
They right. have to get rid of me because I'm an effective legislator. But they also want to get rid of me because I'm an effective fundraiser. And you should see their uh, mail pitches that they make. Oh, she's making all this money. She's, we have to get rid of her. So they, you know, they caricaturize me as being from San Francisco, which I'm proud to represent, mm -hmm. probably usually on a cable car surrounded by LGBTQ people, which I'm very, which I'm very proud to do. And, and so that's what they put into certain districts. And then, the, the, then, um, uh, you know, then they'll say to somebody, and I say to the candidate, say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. Say you want new leadership. We all want new leadership. But for now, I think I'm the best person for the job. And I say this because I want women, I want women to assert themselves and not, mm -hmm. not be hesitant. None of us is indispensable, but some of us know the ropes. Now we're confronting a, how can you describe it, in the White House. This is serious business. This is serious, serious challenge. Right, Mango and Mussolini. we have an agenda that we have to put for. And and so anyway, I feel very confident about where I am in all of it. But I also consider myself a bridge. I am building a big grassroots uh, source of of finance, financial, um, political money for whoever comes next. In other words, how do we transition this? And when it comes to women, you know, I. When I went to Congress, there were 12 women, 12 Democrats, 11 Republicans. We now have 65 Democrats. They have 21 or something like that Republicans because we made a decision to increase our numbers. And I say this to women, know your power in all of this. Nothing is more wholesome to politics and government than the increased participation of women in leadership and in just in, in being at the table in politics. And I have every, this is an absolute fact. The more, the, to the extent that we can reduce the level of money in politics and re increase the level of civility, we will have more women in elective office. Yeah. I mean, it's, um... But I, I have found a new voice for myself because usually I'm pretty modest, I was shy Second and all that, and now I'm like, hey, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I want women to make their fight. I agree with that. I think you should, you know. I, I mean, you have probably forgotten more than a lot of these people know about governing and that sort of thing. I, I, I haven't forgotten, but I do know more than they well, know. Well, <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> if you've forgotten anything. But, but my point in saying that... <laughs> no, I have a really good memory when it comes to yeah. the substance of legislation. Right, but th this is my point. You know, that <laughs> I don't understand why there's such a snottiness towards institutional memory, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We need people with good institutional memory, people who know how governance works and who yeah. know how to get things done. You talk about healthcare. We can't just say, yeah, we want healthcare. Somebody has to be in there who knows mm -hmm. how to get it done, right? Yeah. Let me just if, if make a little departure because I know the time is growing short. When I was on my way here, I like how you just took over my podcast. I met. <laughs> that was nice. That was sweet. It's the new me. I used I to be very shy, but I like that. Though. that start. Great. You're in the arena. They throw a punch. <laughs> you have to throw a punch back. But let me just say yes. this: When on my way here, Larry, mm -hmm. uh, I uh, bumped into some kids from Lone Star State. Community College, who are here with us tonight. Yeah. I was so proud to see them. Where are you? Give us a wave wherever you hey. are. There they Welcome. are. And, and, we, and we also have uh, uh, LGBT, uh, L Lyndon Baines Johnson, DC interns who are fellows who are here tonight yeah, as well. Let's see where they are, our fellows. Thank you. Well, and this is about, everything of it is about the future. And I keep mm -hmm. saying to young people, it's your future. Take responsibility for it. Know your why. You know, what is your vision? Know your subject. Think strategically. But most importantly, connect. Connect with the, the American people so they see your authenticity if you choose to run or if you just choose to advance a cause. But be involved. The future belongs to you. Yes, very well said. Okay, we're just gonna take one more quick break for our one last word from one of our sponsors. 
The Hate You Give, opening in select theaters October 5th and everywhere on October 19th. It's a story about hope and standing up for what is right. This is a movie that has the potential to ignite change. The Hate You Give follows Star Carter, a 16-year-old who's constantly switching between two worlds. The poor, mostly black neighborhood where she lives, and the rich, mostly white prep school she attends. The uneasy balance between these worlds is shattered when Star witnesses the fatal shooting of her childhood best friend Khalil at the hands of a police officer. Now, facing pressures from all sides of the community, Star must find her voice and stand up for what's right. She must learn that in times of darkness, the key is to never stop doing right. The Hate You Give is based on the critically acclaimed New York Times bestseller by Angie Thomas and stars Amanda Stenberg, a star with Russell Hornsby, Regina Hall, Issa Rae, K.J. Appa, Algie Smith, Sabrina Carpenter, Common, and Anthony Mackie. So don't miss the film the critics are calling the most important story in years, you guys. The Hate You Give opens the select theaters on October 5th and everywhere on October 19th. And now back to more of my conversation with Nancy Pelosi. Before you go, I would like to just bring back your boy one more time. Um, <laughs> because, you know, some of this sounds like a joke, but it really isn't a joke. Uh, Madam Speaker, I'm very serious about this. So the anonymous letter that was written about um, Trump. Oh, Trump, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when I said your boy. Um, that really concerns me. I want to ask you, I mean, you've dealt with him personally, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you've seen him up close. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, of course we have these cartoon images and all that stuff. We make jokes. That's my job to do. I get all that. You know, yeah, he, I mean, he gets laughed at the UN, which is fantastic, by the way. But I'm also concerned about that, too. I don't want my president getting, being an object of ridicule at the United Nations. I don't want that. My question, it works for his base. Yes, you're you know, right. He, he's been saying you're all absolutely along, right. they're yes. laughing at America for this or that. So that was a setup, as my as I was concerned. They laughed. You know, it goes back to the base. See those countries? They right. laughed at me because I'm standing up for whatever he's standing up for. My question to you, <laughs> is he mentally unfit to be president? Is there something else going on there? And I don't mean this as a joke. Well, let me, uh, I'll respond in this way. It will not be an answer. It's a response. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask it again. Now, <laughs> I don't know if this sheds any light on your question, but you did reference that I do uh, have some uh, interaction from time to time Mm -hmm. with the president. And I I didn't really want to do this, but I will. And that is this. He's inaugurated president of the United States on a Friday. Disgusting speech. I mean, really Mm -hmm. horrific speech. (laughs) Even George Bush uh, called it poo, in other words. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, on Tuesday, we have our first meeting with him. The House and Senate Democratic and Republican leadership, the President of the United States, his first meeting with Article One, the legislative branch, the leaders of the Congress, co-equal branch of government. So we're sitting at the table. I'm giving you the abbreviated version. No, that's all right. Take your time. You see at the table, and I'm thinking, how will he begin? Will he quote the Bible? (laughs) Will he quote our founders, our brilliant founders? Will he have some poetry and inspiration? Oh, Nancy, now, you're so naive. <laughs> well, I only say that because I've been in that meeting with George W. Bush, and he was very dignified yes. with Barack Obama on more than one occasion. Yeah. Sometimes I was there as leader, and sometimes on uh, two occasions as speaker. How will he begin this historic meeting, President of the United States? The co-equal branch of government leadership. Not that many people at the table, you know, a dozen or so. We had staff there, but in terms of the leadership. (laughs) You know I won the popular vote. (laughs) You did what? 
because three to five million people voted illegally. Okay, so that's what he said. So now, just to give you a, um, a setting, in those meetings, there's a format, but Chuck Schumer had never been to that meeting, Paul Ryan had never been to that meeting before, and Donald Trump had never been to that meeting before. <laughs> so the format, though, is the president speaks, and then the speaker speaks, and then the majority leader in the Senate speaks, and then the minority, and then the minority, and then you have your discussion. But there's a formula, there's a format, there's a protocol. Well, we weren't even sitting that way. You know, they didn't even know. So, so I figured, if he doesn't have that much respect for the office he holds, why should I hold back, right? So I said, he says, now three to five people voted illegally. That's why I won the popular vote. Nobody, speaker's not going to, so I say, Mr. President, that's not true. That's not true. There is no evidence, no data, no facts to support what you are saying. And I'm not even counting California, he says. I'm not even counting California, which was an interesting comeback on his part. And I said, the reason I'm saying this is because any time we have, uh, a, when we have a responsibility, as we do, to work together across the aisle, across the Capitol, down Pennsylvania Avenue, we always stipulate to a set of facts, a budget number, a timetable, we ha and then we begin the negotiation. But you, you have evidence and data of a number, of something from which you will spring. So if you're not even going to base what you're saying on evidence, data, facts, or truth, how can we, how can we proceed from here? I thought maybe you might say something about infrastructure. Every conversation I've had with you since your election, you've talked about infrastructure. I thought maybe we could talk about a figure that we want to work to achieve to build the infrastructure of America. Data, numbers. Oh, infrastructure. I have an infrastructure plan right here. I don't know if this is napkin or his handkerchief or whatever. <laughs> I have an infrastructure plan right here, a trillion dollar infrastructure plan that we're going to pass right away. Right, Mitch? Mitch is the only other person who's been there. So, yeah. Not unless it's paid for, he says to the president. So that was the end of that. <laughs> so then after the thing is over, this um, historic meeting was over, uh, the Republicans went outside and believe it or not, they said to the press, because the press is always waiting, you know, they told the press that the president said he won the popular vote. Why would they tell anybody that, right? <laughs> Weird. Um, and um, maybe they thought we might go out and mock. I, I wouldn't. I don't even talk about what goes in at those meetings. I have a level of respect. So anyway, <laughs> then Chuck Schumer goes out, and they say to Chuck, the Republicans came out and said the president said that he won the popular vote. To which Chuck says, oh yeah, he said that, but Nancy told him it wasn't true. <laughs> so so um, then, now I had already left. I left because we had votes and I went to the Capitol. I had gone out a different door not to go to the press. I went to the Capitol. Now the press descends on me in the Capitol. What did you think when he said that? So what I thought was that we should pray for him. <laughs> but more importantly, we should pray for the United States of America. Uh, so, but you know, you don't even talk about politics in the way. So I mean, the whole thing was so inappropriate. And, and as you say, why would I think the Bible, our founders, poetry? Maybe he thinks that's poetry, that he won the popular vote. <laughs> it certainly is not fact. Uh, but in any event, that just was so what? <laughs> this is the President of the United States still talking about how big the crowd was at his inauguration, that he won the popular vote and the rest. That's just... It, it. 
I think well, you've I rest my, my case. <laughs> I think you've answered my questions. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is, uh, well, you know what? He, he's a, somehow other, he's the president of the United States. And we have to hope always for the best. But I'll tell you one thing. If he gets a validation in this election and we don't win, mm. really, that would be a horrible thing for our country. And I say that unabashedly. But I do think we will win because we have great candidates on the field who know their why. They know why they are there. And they know how uh, to communicate and authentically connect with their constituents. And many of them are in the great state of Texas, which we hope will get bluer and bluer uh, in the next 39 days. From your mouth to the voters' ears. Let's hope that happens. Um, Madam Speaker, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Um, I mean, big gay ice cream, black on the air. We got to find another way to do this again at some point. Yeah, we do. I, um, I mean, I, I came out of my shell. I'm this very <laughs> shy person. You kept it 100 a couple of times. I'm very proud of you. It's very nice. <laughs> and I want to thank the audience for joining us here at the Texas Tribune Festival. Let us thank Larry Wilmer for yeah. his. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.